0: What's up everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift.
1: We are an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids.
0: I'm Chris, you might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity affirming IEPs through my online course.
1: And I'm Jesse, a sensory integration-trained SLP, owner of a top-rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity-affirming ways to support social-emotional development and regulation in autistic kids.
0: Are you ready to make the shift?
1: Let's do it. hello everyone welcome to making the shift this is a popular topic today
0: this will be a fun topic there's going to be a lot to learn high energy and you'll walk away with a smile Uh, i do want to say that this might be an episode where you can get your journal out and uh, take some notes
1: notebook
0: notebook I say that as if I have a journal,
1: Yeah, your personal journal.
0: (laughs) I was thinking about that. There was a recommendation on this podcast that I listened to and they said, this is going to be something you're going to want to get your journal out and write this down. And I was like, well, I don't own a journal, but I'm just going to remember it because this is good stuff. And then I woke up the next day going, Oh my gosh, I forgot every single thing that person said. And that's my life.
1: And that's why you need executive functioning support.
0: I need a goal for that.
1: Okay, so I just learned that I'm twenty-three weeks pregnant. And this and I posted this today, the size of the baby. When I looked up the size of the baby, it said a Furby. Oh, but do you remember my gosh. Furbies? Of course. It, but they're not like they weren't your play toy. You were too old for them, I'm sure. But
0: my generation but You know it. Well, my generation would happen. It was like one of the first toys that had sold out, and people were um you know, taking extras, buying them, and selling them on eBay. Of Furbies? Yeah, that oh. was like the beginning kind of time of when online auctioning was going mm-hmm. on.
1: So I saw that, and the, this memory came up. and It was like, this has got to be the worst feeling I've ever had in my life. Also very embarrassing. But this is, I was in fourth grade. My best friend and I had just gotten Furbies, and we wanted to treat them like our own children, obviously. So we decided to take them to the mall and where I grew up, as you know, it's not close. I lived in a village and the mall was a 30 minute bus ride, but our parents would let us take the bus on our own because it was such a safe town. So we go to the mall. We spend all day at the mall with our Furbies and then we come home, but we want to take our Furbies to the playground.
0: (laughs) We want to be good parents.
1: So we go to the playground for like hours. And then it's getting dark so we both start, you know, she walks home and I walk home and this is in the days of no cell phones obviously. So I get home and I'll never forget this. My mom was sitting on my dad's lap at the dining table crying.
0: Oh my gosh. Because
1: she was like, "Where were you? The last bus came in hours ago. I went by the bus stop but you weren't there and um I was oh like Oh
0: my gosh. I
1: was like I was, I was with my Furby, like at the playground. (laughs) So I feel like Furbies have a bad memory for me. Gosh,
0: Furbies do.
1: She probably wouldn't remember that.
0: Wasn't Furby like the singer of the Black Eyed Peas? No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. So we're
1: going to give a shout out to Connor, our oldest son, because he was really excited to watch tonight's episode. We'll see if he made it.
0: All sorts of good stuff. So our topic tonight is on neurodiversity affirming goal writing. We are going to give you some Some tips, ideas, and things to get your wheels moving um, to really um, help guide that process. So, we hope that you find some of this valuable. Of course, as I mentioned, um, this is one of those ones where you can maybe take some notes and get some good things or come back to the episode.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, when we speak, we get asked these questions so much. How do we write the neurodiversity affirming goals? And the thing is that there's so much that goes into it that's not just the actual goal itself, right? And like last week we talked about how to make assessments more neurodiversity affirming and then be, and before that we talked about why it's important to be neurodiversity affirming. So I think that if you haven't checked out some of those episodes with more of the foundational stuff in in that regard, that would help a lot. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
0: no, exactly. I think that's an important thing to so consider.
1: So the first thing we were going to share today was Chris's secret sauce.
0: I got the secret sauce. <laughs> I am bringing it live from New York. No, um the secret sauce, really we're going to start a little bit different with the approach for um goal writing. And the reason is is this. Okay, so here's the secret sauce. The secret sauce at least in the school system But beyond the school walls, of course, the secret sauce is really...
1: I want to say, I think this is important everywhere.
0: Everywhere, everywhere. Um, But I work in the schools. And so I think that having a document, the IEP, um, is something really to keep in mind. So before we go into goal writing, when I have IEPs and when I'm working with my autistic students, this is so, 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 so important. The supports and accommodations... So you have the services page, you have your service providers, but we look at what accommodations and modifications are within the document. But, you know, again, as Jesse said, beyond the school walls, um, you know, what types of accommodations are there? So that's the secret sauce before goal writing, because a lot of the goal writing is going to be centered around what the accommodations are. I can't stress to you enough, on the importance of that, because the teachers, the the instructional assistant, paraprofessionals, the other people that are working um, within with that child on the team are looking at ways to help remove barriers. They're looking at ways to uh, provide accommodations so the so the student can be successful. This is you know within the school walls, outside of the school walls, and really helps out. So. Um, There's a couple things that um, Jesse and I discuss on what are some things that we would typically see um, for accommodations? And then what are some things that we don't typically see, but that are super important?
1: And I want to say, you know, just to put it in context, this is the part of the goal that says when given, right? Blank. So when given this type of support or accommodation.
0: There's two parts to that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You are right. So when we're writing goals, we can include... That accommodation in the goal. I'll, I'll just we'll discuss that shortly, or to advocate for those accommodations could be a possible another, another idea. But um, yeah, yeah, so typically what we would see for the accommodations to support the student would be something like extra time on test, taking a quiz or test in a quieter environment, things like that.
1: So let's give them your kind of three areas.
0: I've got five big areas, but we're going to talk about three. <laughs> if you want the other two, that's in my IEP course. <laughs> um, but let's just briefly talk about that. I always will have sensory accommodations and that will be not, it'll be one non-exhaustive list, right? So in the services page for accommodations, it'll be sensory supports. And it might say things such as we'll be allowed access to noise canceling headphones or another one might be would be allowed to use fidgets or to take a sensory or movement break. Child would be allowed to use a TheraBand for their desk. Whatever that accommodation is, we're supporting them for who they are. This is so important. Um,
1: yeah, and so, so those are
0: some ideas.
1: Yeah. So one, a port, you already mentioned some executive functioning supports. Things oh, like- sensory
0: and then, yeah, executive functioning supports. So executive functioning would be really helpful. So, you know, student would be allowed to use a Pomodoro timer, get into the t- Pomodoro technique of work for 25 minutes, take a five-minute break, get into that kind of habit of whatever their po- Pomodoro is. Or another one for executive functioning might be that the, t- the teacher will print out the notes because we know that note-taking can be difficult when we're transitioning from one thought here to one thought there. Um, maybe working on helping the student with chunking longer assignments or projects. Um, and then another one would be like a communication accommodation. So maybe providing the teachers with giving the student advanced notice on if they're going to have to speak or not in class. Sometimes we'll see substitutes or teachers where they'll do popcorn reading and they're like, all right, Aiden, the
1: worst thing ever. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my God. they
0: put on the spot. Uh, Aiden, uh, can you please tell us what we just covered for World War II, please? And they're like, <laughs> oh, thanks for the advance notice. So, and yeah, communication.
1: Alternate methods of communication would be another communication support.
0: Yeah. So having a, access to being able to communicate it doesn't have to be through verbal speech, you know, really yeah. a system.
1: Okay. So just to summarize those, secret sauce... <laughs>
0: That's the secret sauce.
1: Chris's secret sauce is knowing what kind of accommodations or supports that you can provide the child, knowing what is available to them. It sounds like first and foremost, because we can't just pull things up out of thin air. So knowing what supports and accommodations a child needs, also knowing what's available to them, and then considering some, to name a few, sensory supports. They might need executive functioning supports or communication supports
0: yeah absolutely as i mentioned too in the iep course the nice thing is i have an exhaustive list of what accommodations work best for neurodivergent students and we do it digitally so i have the students really go through that list and they let me know like i want them to be a part of this process which is huge and that leads us into the next things on what are we looking for in neurodiversity affirming goals versus What should we stay away from? And I do want to preface it by saying of the importance I just mentioned on including the student in what accommodations they feel they would need, but also including them in the goal writing process. I think that is really important.
1: Yeah. How many kids don't know their goals? What are you working on in speech? No idea. I don't know. (laughs) So, yeah, let's talk about Yeah.
0: (laughs) Getting better at Uno.
1: Let's talk about what neurodiversity firming goals should not do or what we should not be doing with our goals.
0: Yeah, I agree. And the main
1: thing there is our goals for our autistic students should not be teaching them to mask, teaching them to hide their autistic traits, teaching them to lessen their autistic traits. We don't want to write goals for things like reducing echolalia, reducing stimming, you know, forcing eye contact. We don't want to write goals that are based on neurotypical norms for communication, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked about this in a past episode. The reason why is because if we're teaching students, if we're looking at goals, if we sit back and we're creating goals that teach them to be like less autistic, right? Or to mask who they are, but to have to imitate their neurotypical peers. Then what we're doing is we're essentially telling them that the way that they communicate is invalid. And that we're also telling, we're also creating more stress and anxiety because we're saying, Hey, we're going to work on these goals about somebody who you're not. And that just leads to stress. It makes one think about, well, if my way of communicating and my style of understanding things is isn't the right way well then who am i and then they start to lose their identity and when you start to have a loss of identity it can lead to a lot of other mental health things so that's the big area we when we look at looking at any type of goal we're looking at not having goals that are teaching them to imitate their the neural majority and it's really
1: important to be able to verbalize that for you as a you know a therapist a parent to be able to explain that just like Chris did, because if you walk into that meeting with the parent where you're explaining their goals, that's your reasoning for and I, <laughs> I own a clinic, you guys probably know, which is where we are now, we got a phone call request today, new patient request, and it was like the list of the things they wanted to work on was eye contact, um, you know, staying on a staying. they didn't say non preferred topic, but it was like that exact kind of thing that they were explaining. Um it was just like a whole list of things that we just don't target now that we know this. Right. Yeah. Um so what should neurodiversity affirming goals do? And
0: Well, I also wanted to mention another one that we see that's quite common is that um we see goals sometimes that are written for unstructured time or for free time or for recess and I just say just let the kids enjoy their time like the other students not on IEP plans don't have to be stressed about working on goals during their free time. I just say, Hey, you know what? We need to be really cautious on creating goals that have kids have to walk up to random peers for a three minute conversation of with two different chosen peers during unstructured time. I just don't think that's the most healthy way of going about it. I don't think that's very neurodiversity affirming. And um, I, I say, Hey, free time is a good time to get back to regulating free time is a good time to Mm -hmm. get back to, you know, we all want our own free time. Like if we want our own free time, then I think we should honor that for our students as well. And our, and our our kids.
1: So let's talk about, we're going to talk about what neurodiversity affirming goals should do. And then we're going to give you guys a bunch of kind of our favorite topic areas for goals. And we had some specific requests to make sure we cover younger kids as well so we're going to be talking about what goals might look like for younger versus older students as well. But the main thing is that we want our goals if in order to be neurodiversity affirming, we really want them to honor and respect the differences that our autistic kids have in their communication, the differences they have in their social interaction, their sensory regulation, their emotional regulation. So We want to respect those differences, honor those differences. And essentially, we're looking at what kind of support do our kids need and how can we give that to them?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, a lot of things to consider, too, when we're looking at goals can be a a wide variety of things. But we're still working for the students who need language development. Mm -hmm. We're still working with um, students on a variety of things. Um,
1: Yeah, absolutely. So still targeting language development as well, of course.
0: Right, right. So we were going to kind of break down the differences a little bit between Jessie's population, which are the younger um, clients that she works with, versus some of the older students that I work with. So we'll kind of maybe... Some of
1: these are, you know, obviously they're not age specific. They They may be more of where the child is, where the student is specific in terms of their communication. So like when we're writing communication goals, obviously that could be a goal for a young child or an older child. But I would say one of the main differences or one of the main things that we changed here in our practice is we are really no longer writing goals for like expanding their sentence length, that the child will verbally produce three to five word utterances, blah, blah, blah. Just to preface this conversation, we are going to give you kind of some topic area ideas. Obviously, fill in the blanks with all of the types of support you need to give the child, the percentage, all of that. Um, We just had someone comment on one of our posts like, oh, this is great, but how do you take data on this? And it's like, well, that's not the whole goal. That's just part of the goal. So obviously, you have to write your whole measurable goal. Um, but one thing we took, we really moved away from in our clinic was writing goals for sentence length, and what we shifted to was essentially two different goals. One is a goal for multimodal communication. Okay, and this is something Chris could speak to as well with older students. Is a lot of our kids want to be able to communicate in many ways. A lot of them don't always want to communicate verbally, even if they can communicate verbally. So. Honoring that all communication is valid is such an important part of our communication goals. So if you are writing a goal for multimodal communication, that is not only hoping to validate the child, but it's also giving you more freedom because now you're going to meet your goal, whether they're talking or they're signing or they're using their AAC or they're pointing to pictures or they're gesturing or they're using their facial expressions it's, you've got so much data that you can take. It's not just on the words that they're saying. And the other thing is that, so we do a lot of goals for multimodal communication. And the other thing I'll say is that when we have kids who are Gestalt language processors, that is where we start to write goals specific to Gestalt language processors, right? So a a goal for a Gestalt language processor would not look like the goal for an analytic language processor. So we know that Gestalt language processors process and learn language in chunks or in scripts. So depending on what stage they're in, that's the type type of goal we would write. So we might write, you know, instead of child will produce three to five words, blah, 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 it would be child will produce scripts to, you know, maybe communicate for, for a variety of pragmatic reasons or the child will mix and match scripts to communicate. So being able to understand if they're a gestalt processor and they are verbal, we will likely write a goal specific to that. Um, The other thing is that someone was asking about self-advocacy goals, which I'm sure you guys already knew we were going to talk about, but I like to mention this, that I think that it's, such a common misconception that self-advocacy doesn't start until kids are older, when in reality it's a skill kids develop from a very young age. We have to be able to teach them that skill. So that means that our goals need to include lots of communicative functions, right? We don't want to just write a goal for requesting. For example, we want to our kids to be able to say, no to something. We want them to be able to say no, stop, don't. Um, not just requests. So making sure that you're covering lots of different communicative functions with your goals.
0: Yeah, and self-advocacy is not just, yeah, seeking out help. Like self-advocacy is, you know, comes to boundaries. Self-advocacy comes to saying no and you know, refusal. Like, hey, I don't want to play that activity right now. Self-advocacy is a is a very large encompasses a lot um and so i just wanted to to touch on that because it does overlap between all ages you know with her um age population here and 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 through high school and uh and i try to advocate for myself as much as possible and i'm working (laughs) on it myself so
1: we'll see about that when bachelor in paradise comes on at eight o'clock tonight if you're gonna that's advocate the thing. Like,
0: I advocate by saying, Jesse, I don't <laughs> want to watch this show, but um, sometimes advocating someone... <laughs> doesn't necessarily go your you way. You have to
1: have a receptive, communicative partner. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, the other part of advocating is I just advocate for myself by getting up and going to the couch. And that's fine too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, one thing, let's segue into, you know, work, having regulation goals. Um, or goals that target self-regulation, I think are super helpful depending on the child, depending on the age. We were kind of debating this earlier when we would introduce that. And I think it's, it's so much depends on the child's ability to understand what they need. But that's another topic area that we love to write goals on. Of course, you guys would know that about us here because we are super into sensory and speech in my clinic. But We love to write goals to help kids identify their energy level, which can be something like using the energy meter from Autism Level Up, which is an autistic-led organization. There's a a freebie on their website called the energy meter and helping kids learn what their energy level is and then be able to identify something that they would maybe need to help them regulate in that moment. So... Helping kids identify or help having kids identify their energy level can be a great goal. Another goal that could, we're gonna have to do a whole show on, you know, interoception and emotions. But one goal we would wanna stay away from with our autistic kids would be just labeling emotions. Because when generally speaking, most autistic people have trouble understanding their own emotions and other emotions, which stem from difficulties with interoception, which is the body's ability to identify its sensations. So for example, I know that heart beating, if I feel my heart beating fast and I start to feel warm, I start to feel jittery. To me, I know that means anxious. For a lot of our kids, they're having trouble identifying those sensations in their body So what we're doing instead is we're showing them these huge pictures of kids and we're saying, look at his furrowed brows and look at his mouth. You can tell he's angry. And all that they're doing is just getting this rote memorization of what an emotion looks like, which is not generalizing to any other context. So back to that regulation goal, another good goal, if you've had some training in interoception or that's a path that you want to go down when teaching kids emotions is helping kids to start identify their bodily sensations, because that can turn into a conversation about what bodily sensations mean, which types of emotions.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the easiest, this is in my course as well, but we work with the body map of emotions, if you Google it, and it just gives you a visual representation of what is actually going on physically in the body. Like it'll show that the arms and the shoulders are red. When we start to feel some anxiety or frustration or anger, your entire body will start to feel a little warm. If you have like a connection that's good with somebody or there's love, Um, all of those things that we really break down. So that's a really good target when it comes to identifying those things versus what Jesse was talking about. When we say, okay, Let's, let's look at some emotions, the emotions um, pictures, and uh, describe how you're feeling today. We're going the wrong way when we do that. So, um, yeah. But those are some, some good ideas um, to target. Working with students on neurodiversity affirming goals, some other key areas. So we talked self-regulation, co-regulation being important. Jesse mentioned gestalt language processors and working with that communication and language development. I really like to work on that self-advocacy piece too, again, for all ages, but that's why I mentioned at the beginning of the show, understanding what the accommodations are for that are unique and individualized to the student that helps them best. So that way, they know what to advocate for, right? That would that is extremely helpful. That is serving a purpose beyond the school walls, beyond the clinic walls. This is a life thing that um, is really helpful. So self-advocacy, self-regulation, co-regulation, gestalt language processing. And another one is this, perspective taking. But I'm going to describe this real briefly. There's two different types of uh, ways of approaching it. One of them is teaching the student to take the perspective of, of others so that way they imitate or mirror their their classmates. That's not the type of perspective taking we wanna target. The type of perspective taking we wanna target is basically giving them context of why people say, and do what they do. So for example, I'm in high school, I talk about like, hey.
1: You wish you were in high school.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I work in high school. But I say, hey, at lunch, a lot of these groups seem like they magically pop together. Um, and, and grow together, and they just talk about random things that happen over the weekend. Hey, Friday night football game! Oh my gosh, did you see what happened with the Kardashians? Travis Barker is now dating Kim. Oh my gosh, she's even uh, twenty two. Courtney, but- Courtney, and then it's like, and we I talk about this. I provide context without teaching them that they have to do that in order to have friends or to be a part of a conversation. But at least they have the why, they have the context, so that way they can navigate the neurotypical world. They have an understanding of and a perspective of situations. So when they are out in the workforce or they um, are in a job interview or they are meeting somebody um, in a new group, um, they can understand things easier. So that's really important. Perspective taking without sacrificing autonomy. That's so important. We do not want to sacrifice their ability to make their own choices.
1: And I'm glad you bring that up because I think when we do talk about not teaching perspective taking in the way that we're used to teaching it. I feel like we always get people who comment saying like, well, that's not fair that they're not going to understand how to take the perspective of these other people. It's not fair. They're not going to know how to navigate the world. So that's not what we're saying to do. We're not saying um, to not do that. You know, Chris is talking about helping them understand other people's perspectives. And then in the Meantime, hopefully we're also getting other people to understand autistic perspectives, right? Because it has to go both ways.
0: It's a two-way street, but that's why you're here, because we learn, we share, we educate. And you know, it again, yeah, both it's that double empathy, everybody learning about (laughs) different ways of communicating and different styles. Yeah. That's I want to jump
1: back really quick to self-advocacy because we got a lot of questions about. How to, like, instead of, if we're not doing these social skills goals, how are we writing these goals? And what I found, and through a lot of conversations with you, with my older kids as well here, my older kids, aka seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old kids, that's what I consider older, um, we, you know, you can make almost any goal kind of what was a traditional social skills goal, and change that to be a self-advocacy goal, right? So if the goal was that the child will maintain a topic of conversation, we know that we don't want a goal like that because it's forcing them to be in a conversation that they really don't want to be in about maybe something that is not interesting for them, right? So instead of having a goal about maintaining a topic of conversation, you have a goal for that the child will self-advocate to change the topic of conversation so that they know how to change the topic of conversation when it's not interesting for them or that they will self-advocate to you know, navigate a communication breakdown if they don't understand what someone's talking about, that they're able to get clarity to navigate that communication breakdown. So I think that that's, it's such a, that's such a key player there, the self-advocacy goal, because you can do so much with it.
0: Oh, big time.
1: And it changes,
0: yeah, from year to year. You, um, things, Different needs and accommodations and supports are needed. And so the ability to self-advocate for different things can change over a lifetime, really.
1: Yeah. So just to kind of summarize, um, does that sound good?
0: Yeah, I see there there was a comment in here on how do we teach neurotypical kids autistic perspectives? Like when do you do that in small group? So my situation's a little bit different than others and it's more or less being creative. Sometimes I will work with a larger group like a class. Sometimes I'll just use different types of YouTube videos to educate and I really work with our TV video crew. So uh, once a month, there was like a two-minute segment that gets... Um, distributed campus-wide, we have something, but I know that every not everybody has options for that. So it's really when the opportunities are there.
1: And having the kids be able to teach their peers.
0: That's a, yeah, exactly. So yeah. they have the knowledge and the understanding of their own characteristics. So that way, when questions are asked or people um, are confused with something, they can describe it. Like, these are the characteristics of me.
1: Yeah. Or things like knowing what their differences are in their communication styles and then them being able to tell people, you know, this is how I communicate.
0: Exactly. That's really important.
1: Yeah. So I think some of, and obviously the, there could be a million goals. Like Chris said, his Neurodiversity Affirming IEPs course has tons and tons of actual goal examples, but just to give you guys some food for thought, things to think about for topic areas, Multimodal communication, gestalt language, using language for lots of different communicative functions, self-regulation, self-advocacy, perspective taking. Those feel like the big ones.
0: Co-problem solving, co-regulating, identifying their own characteristics. Yeah, that's really good. I do that. more times than not, to be honest with you, I will disclose I'll say I have ADHD. Sometimes following along for this long can be difficult. Or...
1: Sometimes you might talk to me for 30 minutes and I won't hear a word you've said.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm advocating for my own needs and while educating others.
1: It's so funny because your attention is so fleeting what? a lot of the times and it's like, I can't have just like sometimes a five minute conversation, but today he was like keeping me on the phone, making me believe that he was going to be late for this show. And it was like a good five minutes of him. Just you were, you've never been so entertained. Right. <laughs> like the things that keep your attention. Um, so yeah, go to if resources, go to speechdude.com if you want to learn more about that.
0: Yeah, about that. Exactly.
1: But thank you guys for tuning in. If this was helpful for you, please share it with someone who would benefit from learning this. And let us know what types of follow up questions you have. We love writing our shows based on the questions that you have. So please reach out to us anytime with questions.
0: You got it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope that you got some value out of this evening.
1: And if some things to think about, we'll be at Asha. Let us know. We will see you there.
0: Until next time.
1: If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend.
0: Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.